I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's happening? Uh, For a lot of us, it is spring break. So, if you're on spring break, happy break. Today is Tuesday, April 3rd, episode 39 of the Wong Takes, starting right now. Uh, first, I've got an announcement to make, actually. We are adding yet um, more functionality to the podcast. We are, you now have the opportunity to call into the show. Uh, call is in quotation marks, as I have um, written here. Uh, you can get on the show with your voice, which is how it works. Um, just ask a question or talk about whatever you want to talk about. I will comment, respond, whatever, accordingly. Um, And the way you do it is record whatever you want to say with the voice memos app, or uh, I'm not sure what it is on Samsung, like the uh, voice recorder app or something like that. I don't know. Either way, get me an MP3 file of some kind uh, and email to bit.ly slash the long takes. We are still incredibly low tech and low budget, uh, but... I think this can work. So if you guys want to give it a shot, uh, let me know and try it out. And hopefully we can have that in future episodes. Um, That's the announcement for today. So let us get to our first topic of the day. We're going to lead in actually with the women's Final Four. Um, In this women's Final Four, uh, Notre Dame won the national championship, the Fighting Irish on Sunday over the Mississippi State Bulldogs, 61-58. to And Notre Dame, uh, also in the Final Four, had to beat UConn on the way to the title. They beat them 91-89 in overtime. Uh, and we saw in this these this Final Four, we saw a legend born. Orike uh, Ogumbawale is a name that you've probably been hearing a lot of the last couple of days, and we'll continue to hear about. Uh, she hit buzzer beaters cold-blooded buzzer beaters uh, in both games to win them against UConn with one second left in overtime and against Notre Dame, or I mean against Mississippi State virtually for the title. Both on the right side, both uh, with a defender in the face, and they're both extremely clutch shots. And both shots got shout-outs from Kobe Bryant, who is obviously one of the best NBA players of all time. Uh, And it's really an honor to get and it tells the magnitude of what happened. And one of the storylines with women's basketball, women's college basketball specifically, over the uh, last last couple decades or so is not enough parity, is that UConn's dominance of the sport has been bad for the sport because you don't have competition, is which is what draws viewers in. But the thing is, uh, I, I think... I don't think it was bad for the sport because women's college basketball wasn't something that unfortunately was going to get a lot of run anyway. Uh, having that one story that people can latch on to, UConn, which is what people know, um, will get people to watch more like are more likely to watch because they 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 have one story that they really want to see. Uh, and also, what that does is it helps build them up to the point where anytime they lose whether that's in the regular season or the conference tournament or the, the uh, national tournament. Uh, it, it makes it that it's so much more surprising and so much better of a story when they lose. 
Um, and there are plenty of good stories in women's college basketball besides UConn. And I think the UConn's loss was able to bring one of those teams to the spotlight. Uh, that was a it was a great team that we saw in Notre Dame. Uh, some great personalities on that team with Ogumawale and Mabry in them. Uh, and also, I think just in general in women's college basketball, parity is starting to emerge. Not necessarily within like the top teams of the mid-majors, but parity just between those types of groups. Like uh, I think two 11 seeds got to the Sweet 16 in the women's game uh, this year. And that's not insignificant. It's hard for a double-digit seed to get the Sweet 16 for the men or the women. And the fact that they were able to do it I think it was Central Michigan and someone else. Uh, it just shows that the tournament's gonna keep, continue to draw more viewers. It's gonna get more exciting. And then plus, UConn hasn't won the championship the last two years, so it's not like they're just winning every single year and they can't be beat. There are teams at the top: Notre Dame, uh, Mississippi State, Louisville, South Carolina. These teams can compete with UConn, even if not all of them can beat them right now. They, they're all getting to that point, and I think we're going to start to see that, especially as some of UConn's seniors uh, age out. Plus, this Final Four was just really fun to watch as a whole, um, and I think that's going to help draw some viewers next year, draw some more sponsorships, uh, maybe even help support the WNBA, which has uh, struggled for relevance, I guess. Even though it's been backed by the NBA for years, uh, it's, it's struggled to really establish a foothold in the national landscape. I think part of that uh, has to do with a cycle of when you are not as popular, you aren't able to expand into many as many cities and get more fan base. Like I know I personally don't root for WNBA team, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there isn't one uh, in the Bay Area or really in Northern California at all, uh, which makes it tougher. So this Women Final Four, I think, can be a spark plug for the women's game, and it was a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I'm excited for the future uh, of this of this game. All right, next is going to be the topic that wrapped up last night. I'm sure everyone knows it was March Madness. Uh, let's just jump straight into the championship game. Like, well, maybe maybe not quite yet. Uh, the final four games were the first game was a lot of fun. Loyola and Michigan is back and forth, uh, ten ten point leads for each team. And that one was the Michigan defense was really the story. And then Villanova-Kansas was not exactly close at the end. Villanova just suffocated Kansas, setting a Final Four record for threes uh, with 13 in just the first half, which I I think is pretty remarkable. Uh, Now, that got us to a championship game, with the matchup being Michigan and Villanova. I was looking forward to this one a lot. I thought it was a good matchup. Uh, with the defense of Michigan versus the offense that Villanova really showed out uh, during the Kansas game. And it was it was a good one in the first half. Uh, in the first half, there was extraordinary effort from both sides. I don't think there was there were any questions about teams not being ready to play or anything or or the game getting too big for, for either team really. Uh, it was a it was a really good game in the first half. And Michigan's defense was able to contain Nova in the first half, actually, um, at least until the end of the first half, just because their isolation defense was good enough that Villanova wasn't getting the open three looks they were uh, against Kansas. But Michigan couldn't stop Villanova's sixth man, Dante DiVincenzo, who was the story of the game and of the Final Four. He caught fire 
through multiple times in this game. I think he scored at least nine straight points for his team twice, and he finished with 31 points off the bench, and the 31 points were tied for the most ever in a championship game since the field expanded to 64 teams in 1985, uh, not just off the bench, but overall, uh, which is remarkable. Uh, DiVincenzo, a lot of people were saying he, he came to prominence, but he's been there all tournament, um, and he's been one of their veteran leaders, even though he comes off the bench. Um, and then Michigan couldn't get anything going on offense all game. Uh, Villanova's traps were devastating. And just uh, notice subtle things, like throughout the game, uh, Mo Wagner, after starting off hot, couldn't get any touches because guys were constantly fronting him, and, and, and they were switching on everything. And they never gave him an opportunity to get the ball and work and develop a rhythm in the paint. Uh, and that's what allowed them Michigan to beat Loyola because just a ripple effect of offense. But they couldn't do that against Villanova. And Villanova's threes ended up really being the difference for me because even, even though they didn't shoot it as well as they did against Kansas, every time Michigan seemed to have any momentum whatsoever, Villanova just goes 3-3 three, three, and then the lead's back up to 17 from, like say, 11 or 12 when they're threatening to get it to single digits. Um, and then Michigan, Michigan was not able to turn the faucet off for any extended period of time, which is what they needed to do against Villanova. So some legacy stuff. Um, we came into this tournament thinking that there was really no clear favorite. Like, we're not sure if any team is going to be able to emerge from this dominant from everyone else. And yet that's exactly what happened. This Villanova team, especially coming out of this year's field, is going to be remembered as the most dominant team in probably a pretty long time uh their margins of victory in this tournament were 26 23 12 12 16 and 17 and they they were the first team to win every game by double digits since carolina in 09 and i think just the four, fourth team to do it since the expansion um that's pretty remarkable to have that run of consistency in what's literally called march madness uh they also it's not like they had like a cakewalk either uh, like some of these teams say, like uh, the Kentucky team or uh, Cincinnati team in the South bracket, where they would not have had to beat that many quality opponents, whereas this Villanova team had to beat West Virginia, they had to beat Texas Tech just to get to the Final Four, and then Kansas and Michigan in the Final Four. So they had one of the tougher routes of all these teams to win it all. Um, and I don't think that, just from my point of view, they never really felt like they were in trouble. Uh their defense was good enough that teams could never get runs against them, even Kansas or Michigan. Uh, even they, they never had a chance to explode, and they never felt like there were really madness. This team also benefited. They're, they're, they had see, really good senior leadership, and that's something that people are going to remember. I, I think I said at the beginning of the tournament, like it matters to have seniors and juniors on your team in the, year, in the years of one and done. Because they know what it's like, especially for Villanova, who won the championship, when a lot of these guys were freshmen, they know what it feels like. Guys like Jalen Brunson, who's the AP Player of the Year, Phil Booth and Mikhail Bridges, who Coach Jay Wright said were two of the leaders on the team, they're redshirt juniors. This is their fourth year at Nova. And then DiVincenzo off the bench was a junior, uh, and all four of those guys won the championship as a freshman, so they know what it's like. And that was really helpful that they were able to handle the pressure of the tournament and able to handle runs by other teams, uh, which there were not many, and, and and match up well against really anyone. Now, Michigan, who lost this game, has really no reason to be ashamed. They were actually a five seed in the Big Ten tournament. They won their way to a three seed in the national tournament and then got to the national championship game. 
there were some there there are gonna be some great memories they take away from this run, like the Houston game, which I also took away good memory because my bracket. Uh, but yeah, no, Jordan Poole hitting the shot. He's gonna remember that for the rest of his life. The the end of the tournament doesn't matter. Uh, it was a phenomenal run. Mo Wagner, uh, everyone learning and loving his story, and Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman. Uh, and all of them, it's just, they came up against a buzzsaw in Villanova. There was really nothing, nothing they could do to stop the Wildcats last night. Uh, there, it was just, they were on fire. Um, their defense was on fire. There was just nothing they could do about it. Now, this tournament as a whole, how are we going to remember it? Uh... Even though this Final Four wasn't the most exciting Final Four we could have had, like the Nova-UNC game two years ago, uh, or even the UNC-Gonzaga game last year, there wasn't just that level of closeness, except maybe in the Loyola game. But there are still good stories, of course, that we're going to take away from this tournament. Uh, let's go over a few of them. I mean, UMBC, not, uh, the 16 seed knocking off a 1 seed, laying waste to brackets. Uh, at the time, I think UVA was the number one pick champion uh, in the ESPN Tournament Challenge game. And laying waste to brackets for years to come, I'm sure, because people are going to be able to, or people are going to want to pick 16 seeds now. And the Retrievers, not only were they a good team, but they were good people. Captured the heart of a nation. Their Twitter guy is a legend. Uh, check it, look it up if you didn't see it. UMBC Athletics Twitter. Uh, it was a phenomenal night for him as well. Uh, another great story, Loyola Chicago, an 11 seed getting the Final Four for the second time, in, or double-digit seed getting the Final Four for the second time in three years. Uh, Loyola Chicago getting the first Final Four since 1965, I believe it was. Uh, and of course, their chaplain, Sister Jean, a uh, story for the ages, one that we're all going to remember, and one that I think some teams are going to try to copy, but no one's ever going to be have the capture the sister gene magic uh, like this team did. And then, of course, the South region that destroyed brackets with Virginia going down, Cincinnati going down, uh, and Tennessee going down, and Arizona going down all before the Sweet 16, and then Kentucky going down uh, in the Sweet 16 and, and having a, a 9 versus 11 uh, Elite 8 game is also something that we're going to remember. Uh, and then... One shining moment was great as always. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. The yearly montage of what went down in March is something that we'll always we'll, we'll always remember. Uh, and it was a great tournament. Uh, it was fun covering it. The long takes. Uh, if we're still going next year, we're gonna do it again. Uh, tell me when next year comes around if you want me to make a bracket pool uh, or whatever. Of course, I'm willing to support that. And now we can return to the NCAA's previously scheduled programming of the corruption charges and the FBI probe and bribes and yada yada. Um, but we had a fun, fun three weeks of delusion from the horrors of the NCAA. So uh, March Madness, great experience. Um, can't wait to do it again next year. All right. Let's get... To the next story, uh, Joel Embiid. So, he suffered a concussion of the Philadelphia 76ers, suffered a concussion and a fractured orbital bone. 
uh, after a collision with his teammate, actually, Markel Fultz on Wednesday. And the irony, I don't think, is lost on anyone. Markel Fultz just coming back from an injury to, or goes right and injures a star player of the 76ers. And according to ESPN Zach Lowe, this is going to be an injury that lasts two to four weeks. Um, and that's devastating. For, well, not devastating, but it hurts a lot because the playoffs start uh, in two weeks. So Joel Embiid, in the short end of the timeline, he may make it back in time for the playoffs, though uh, chances are he won't. And Joel Embiid is one of the players that makes the most impact in the NBA um, by far. Like, here's a crazy stat that I saw the other day. Uh, the 76ers have an 11.6 net rating, which is offensive rating minus defensive rating, which is points per 100 possessions. So per 100 possessions, the Sixers are scoring outscoring people by 11.6 with Joel Embiid on the floor, uh, which would be the best in the NBA. And they have a negative 3.9 rating with him off the floor. So 15 points per 100 possessions. That's like 15 points a game or 15 points every game and a quarter swung by Joel Embiid. Plus their backup center, if if NBA war was a larger thing, I might have a number. Um, but the Sixers backup center, Amir Johnson, averages just 4.4 points per game. Obviously no substitute for Embiid's physical presence or Embiid's scoring presence. Uh, particularly from the outside. Um, plus, Joel Embiid is the heartbeat of the 76ers. He started and kind of, or he didn't start, but he embraced the whole trust the process movement. And he's a guy that everyone likes to rally around uh, on the court and in the locker room. He's just a funny guy. He keeps the mood lighthearted. And I'm sure he's going to do that uh, while he's out and injured. But it's not the same on the floor, particularly. Uh, who's going to be your leader? And it's probably going to be uh, one of the young guys like Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz. Um, but it's not the same. You don't have a major presence that you can rely on day in, day out uh, to get you buckets uh, and also make you laugh. So it's a big loss for the 76ers. Um, the good thing for them, at least, is that they already clinched a playoff berth. So fortunately, they don't have to worry uh, about that. However, um, they are, I believe, let me actually do a quick search right now, but I believe they're the fourth seed. And yeah, they're the fourth seed right now. And they actually are riding a 10 game winning streak. So they haven't lost so far with Embiid's absence, but it's going to hurt not to have him and his depth leading, not only trying to get home court advantage, for the first round of the playoffs, which they're on the border. They're a half game up on the Pacers right now, who are close on their tails uh, and hot as well. Um, plus, if they don't get home court advantage, uh, it's going to make it even worse if Embiid can't play in the first play in the first uh, series. So him being back and ready versus not being ready and out could be the difference between them winning like two series and then not making the play or winning two series and not winning any series at all. Uh, particularly in the NBA where the playoffs are two months long, it's crucial to get that first series out of the way quickly so that your team is not tired uh, by the time you get to like the conference championship series or the yeah conference sh- series or the uh, NBA Finals. So this is a big loss for the Sixers, and it's going to be a developing story for the weeks to come. 
Um, but yeah, the playoffs are almost here. So next week we might have some sort of special or like preview or something. Uh, but I'm excited for the end of the NBA regular season. All right, first shoutouts in a while. And I remember when I first made shoutouts, I was like, yeah, this is going to be for stories that maybe don't deserve or I can't talk for a full like five, six minutes about, um, but deserve to be on the show. And baseball is kind of a microcosm of that, uh, I think. You don't really get many of these overarching, big, money stories, but you get a lot of little mini stuff. Uh, let's talk about a few of those right now. Um, but actually, first, I have I, I lied. There are multiple announcements in today's episode. Here's another announcement. Um, I am making a spreadsheet for this baseball season that is going to keep track of wins and losses and nothing else. Not runs, not individual averages, not nothing. Just every day, I'm going to mark down who wins and who loses. Uh, and the link for that is... I'll repeat it twice, bit.ly, we, we love bit.ly here, bit.ly slash TWTBaseball2018. I'll repeat, that's bit.ly slash TWTBaseball2018. Tell me if that link works or not. Uh, it should. I believe it should work, and people should have view or comment access. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a Google Sheet. Uh, but, and and right now, I'm starting to keep track of it. Uh, if you want me to add anything to it that involves wins and losses, just email me, leave a comment on the spreadsheet, the usual. Um, but just, just looking at it right now, I've got some graphs going. It, I, can, I can tell this is going to be pretty neat uh, as the season progresses. We're going to be really be able to see like broader things that we might not be able to see on a day-to-day, which is like when teams are falling into slumps or when teams are just vibrating back and forth and trying to find a groove or whatever. Um, but just looking at it right now, after maybe the first f- four or five days of the season, we can already start to see some trends. Like some teams that are still uh, undefeated or some teams that still haven't, or haven't gotten a win yet, like the Padres. Uh, some races that you can already tell are going to be close, uh, like the race in... I think the NL East will be a little closer this year than people think with teams like the Mets and the Nationals uh, and the Braves. I think those are, that's going to be a tighter race than people think. Uh, the AL East looks good as always. So we've got some good stories already emerging from this these graphs, and I, and I think they're going to be fun, especially for a stats guy like me, uh, to follow throughout the year. In the meantime, let's also talk about some individual shout-out stories. First... Let's give a shout out to Joe Panic and the San Francisco Giants, who their offense looks just as bad as last year already with two runs in their first four games. Uh, I'm actually watching the fifth game right now, so I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, but Joe Panic hit two home runs in the first two games in both one nothing wins at Dodger Stadium. Those two home runs were against Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen. Uh, which is pretty remarkable because Kenley Jansen, one of the best players in the game, killing Kershaw, probably the best pitcher in the game. Plus, he was able to end the Dodgers' seven-game winning streak on opening day, which were games that Kershaw started. Uh, and, yeah, so if Joe Panic is the Giants' biggest source of power, they're kind of in trouble. Um, and they have some early struggle stories early on, like Evan Longoria and Andrew McCutcheon, who are not off to hot starts. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they mesh um, and that was that was a fun couple of games to watch. 
Uh, next, a shout out to Giancarlo Stanton, who hit two home runs, not one, but two home runs in his New York Yankees debut. Uh, Giancarlo adds incredible power, leading the league in home runs last year to an already stacked lineup, which includes Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez. Uh, and, and that team is only going to get better with him. And just having another power bat in the lineup always is always is great. Um, plus, you get to support your other guys in the lineup. Just make your lineup deeper as, as a whole. Um, so, Giancarlo Stanton off to a rip-roaring start. Uh, finally, shout-out to Shohei Otani, the pitcher who came over from Japan to much hype. Every team in the major leagues wanted him. And... This week, he showed the reason in his first start that everyone wanted him. Actually, in his first game, he was the DH because he can pitch and hit, even though he's in the American League. And he, he got a hit in his first game, which is always something to to get out of the way. Plus, he, in his first start, he only allowed three runs on three hits in six innings pitched. And that that, that line looks even better when you consider that Otani retired 14 of the last 15 hitters he faced after giving up an early three-run shot, so he really was able to settle down uh, and, and get outs, which is what you need to do, uh, especially in the American League when you can go longer. Uh, and he can, I think he can live up to the hype. It's going to take some time, uh, of course, to, to get ready and, and to really get a feel for the major leagues, but I think he is, he is talented enough. He has the arsenal. Uh, and the ability to hit, that he can become a huge star in the major leagues. And I look forward to following his journey on the Wong Takes, and I hope we have uh, more opportunities to do so, of course. All right, last thing for today is the quick take. Uh, This was a big story this morning, and it's a developing one that we've been following which is the rematch between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin, which was deemed as probably the best fight of the year. And Canelo, a few, I think it was a few months ago, was caught or supposedly caught doping. Uh, he had a banned substance. And as a result of that banned substance, their rematch has been canceled. And Canelo has been suspended. Man, this is a big hit for the boxing world. And just, I think, the the combat sports world in general. This fight was had the hype of a Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. And not only that, like, it was going to actually live up to the billing. Uh, like, it, and plus, after their first rematch ended in a, a draw, a highly contested, con- very, very controversial draw, this matchup was is seen as like the real fight, and it was going to draw huge loads of money, huge loads of interest. Like boxing was going to own a night uh, for one of the first times in a long time, and just not having to do this opportunity, and not only because uh, because it was not able to happen, but because it was responsible for doping, which is a huge issue in combat sports. It has knocked out great fights like Jones and Cormier uh, in the UFC a few years ago, or actually no, it might have been a year ago. Um, so, yeah, if you're boxing, you can't afford to let this happen, and I don't know if hiding it's the best idea, because, like, boxing is a sport where if you dope, it actually will really, it could, like, really hurt someone, um, but they're gonna have to find a way to compromise and get to a point where they can have this fight, 
Because if they have to end up dropping this fight altogether and just not having it, it's going to be a huge blow to the boxing community. Alright, that's the long takes for this sunny April day here in the Bay Area. Uh, check out the podcast everywhere. The website bit.ly slash takes, patreon.com slash thewongtakes, email thewongtakes at gmail.com. Send your questions, comments, concerns, leave voicemails, email uh, your voice memos to thewongtakes at gmail.com. Get on the show. Rate the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Download the podcast on iTunes. Let's get those numbers up. Uh, And, of course, on Google Play. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.